The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flowers of grass the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. God, we are in awe of your love for us. There's nothing that we could ever do to make you stop loving us. God, we thank you that you, you chase us down and you woo us with that love. You long to, to be in communion with us. God, we thank you for your spirit here today. We thank you for the, how you work through believers in this body, encouraging and supporting and loving one another. God, we pray today that you would that you would open our ears and our hearts to what you have to say to us. And God, that you would strengthen Pastor Chris and that you would let your spirit speak through him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are... Uh moving through the book of 1 Peter, which is a letter written to first century Christians. And they are dispersed throughout Roman provinces across Asia Minor. And these believers are feeling a tension of what it means to be in the world, but not of the world. They are citizens of heaven, but they are living amongst very, very uh, pagan people. And so, ultimately, these believers feel like exiles or misfits. How many have ever felt like a misfit before? You just don't fit in. In this post-Christian culture that we now find ourselves in, we as Christians are increasingly feeling like misfits. And this can be frustrating to people like me, because if you're like me, how many just want to fit in? Like, I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be different. So throughout 1 Peter, we find many practical, relevant lessons for how to live in this world as misfits. As we uh, are around many people who, by and large, in, in our culture, have extremely different values, have extremely different behaviors than us, the temptation can be this. It can be to change our beliefs or just uh, even change our behaviors so that, in fact, we don't stand out as much. Now, 
Last week, though, we were reminded uh, here in 1 Peter that we are called as believers to be holy. And I know that's a really churchy word, but here's what it means. It means to be set apart. As Christians, God sets us apart from the world, and He sets us apart unto the Lord, all right, to Himself. And so holiness is one of the marks of a real follower of Jesus. In other words, our conduct, our behavior should be different than secular people. Now, as a Christian, I want my conduct to be holy. How many want to line up with what the Bible says? You want your life to be like that? But there's this tension that I feel. Like, I want to do what God wants me to do, but I never want to come across as kind of smug, moralistic, judgmental, critical, holier than thou. How many have ever met some holier than thou church folk? Is that not a turnoff? I'm in the church, and it's a turnoff to me. I can't imagine how the world feels. We, uh, years ago, uh, we, we lived in, in Colorado. I, I pastored there and had a great church there. And one particular weekend, we were, uh, we were having a big celebration. And on this particular weekend, my mother happened to be visiting us. And uh, it was just a, a great time. We were so glad to have her there. And she decided she would help us at this party. Now, when I moved, I'm originally from Winchester. When I moved from Winchester to Colorado, there are two things that I missed. And you all be th- may be thinking like, okay, you missed your mama, you missed your daddy. No, here they are. Ready? Beer, cheese, and L8. Come on, somebody. How many feel me? Right? So, so that was hard. Like I was going through like withdrawals. I was detoxing. Like I was miserable my first few months there. Like give me the crack, you know, like the, the, that, that L8, man. It's like crack to me, Right? So my, my uh, stepfather this weekend does something so kind. He goes to extreme lengths to get us a, a, just a boatload of beer cheese shipped to us on dry ice so we could share these Kentucky delicacies, quote-unquote, with, uh, with our friends, right? And he ships us loads of L8s like this is heaven. And I'm so excited for my friends there in Colorado to get to try the greatest ginger ale in the world, right? Come on, somebody. You feel me? You're not a Verner's people in here, are you? Canada Dry? No, come on. We got the real stuff, L8, and I'm so excited. So my mother is kind of dishing this stuff out, uh, talking about it, giving uh, these uh, treats to people and stuff, and she makes her way to one table. And it is filled with ladies who are dear to my heart, but they're some of the older senior ladies in our church, right? The ones you don't mess with. How many know you just don't mess with the old church ladies, right? One thing I've learned to miss in ministry. So my mother goes over there, and one of the ladies looks at her, and she says, what kind of cheese is this again? And my mother nonchalantly, because we know, you know, we, we get it down here. She says, oh, it's beer cheese. This lady looked horrified. We have brought beer cheese, translation Satan cheese, into the church, Right? Devil cheese. We, we brought beer cheese into the church, and I think it looks like they're going to just fall out of their chairs. I mean, they're horrified. So my mom understands what's going on here, so she begins to explain there's very little alcohol in here. Like, a lot of it's cooked out. I don't even know if that's true. We tell people that just to make them feel better. But, um, but, but she said, yeah, it's cooked out. Like, there's very little. You can buy this over the counter. My kids can go in and buy beer cheese. They were not buying it. They were horrified. Now, I'm grateful, and I love these ladies, by the way, if they're watching online. Um, You got real quiet. 
you're like, maybe we shouldn't laugh. They might come and get us, right? Um, so, so I'm, you know, I'm glad they have convictions. Like, I'm thrilled that, that they have those convictions. But they kind of, in a persnickety kind of way, looked at one another, looked at my mom, looked back at one another. One of the ladies says, no, thank you. We will not be having any of this. And I just thought, what in the world? So, and, and just made my mom, like my mom's only five foot anyway, but she made her feel even smaller, right? And, and, and I just never want to come across is in that manner, right? I thought this morning, I was thinking through the story, and I thought, you know what? Because I love to play pranks on people, just saying. That's probably not a great trait for a pastor, but it keeps me sane, right? So here's the thing. How funny would it have been after that conversation to get all my friends in on this and, like, say, hey, just take a bite of a cracker with a little bit of that cheese and just act totally drunk out of it, right? <laughs> just act all crazy. They would have died. But, but no, I never want to come across, like I want to follow God, but I never want to look like holier than thou. A man by the name of Jonathan Haidt, who is a, a social psychologist and a professor at New York University, wrote a book called The Righteous Mind in which he addresses why, by his estimation, we are so divided by religion and politics and these things. And he points out something very compelling. He says this, that human nature is intrinsically, quote, moralistic, critical, and judgmental, end quote. Now, how many could say amen to that? Like, that, our natural default mode, apart from Christ, it, you know what that is? That self-righteousness. That's what we default to moralistic, uh, critical, judgmental behavior. And I don't agree with, with everything he says. He's not a believer. But listen, I, I think he's on to something here. I think this lines up with the Scripture. And so I'm sure that you are, if, if you're a, a church goer, if you're a Christian today, I'm sure that you are um, with me on this. How many want to live, again, for, for the word of, by the Word of God? How many want to walk in holiness? But how many want to guard from becoming this arrogant, smug, prideful, holier-than-thou type of person? So how do we do it? Well, I told you that one of the marks of a true Christian is holiness. Like we're not saved because we act holy. We could never act holy enough for God to accept us. We're saved by sheer grace. But when we are truly saved, how many know there's a change that happens? I just heard some statistics this week from Barna. Uh, a pastor was giving these, and he said that something just came out recently that was showing that, you know, by people's perception, the general population, that there is very little difference between the way church people, Christians, evangelical Christians live, and the general population. There's not a huge chasm in between those two groups of people. And again, we're not... We're not accepted by God because we act a certain way, but we act a certain way because we're accepted by God. See the difference? Holiness is not the way to salvation. It's the, it's, it's the evidence of salvation. So that is one of the marks of a true believer. But there is actually, we see it here in 1 Peter, there's another mark of real followers of Jesus, and here it is. It's love. It's love. Look at verse 22. Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere or resulting in a sincere brotherly love, he says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now, Peter, 
after reminding these believers, just in the previous verses, that they must conduct themselves in a way that is congruent with God's law, a way that pleases Him, He now immediately compels them to be loving. And here's why this is important. Right living without love is legalism and self-righteousness, and it will push people away from God, not pull them towards Him. So real followers of Jesus, big idea, real followers of Jesus have both the marks of holiness and love. And to be sure, we do not live up to either one of these perfectly on this earth. How many had a moment this week? Come on. Anybody have a moment? I did. I, I was, you know, I always wrestle with what I'm preaching. As I'm preaching on love, I had a moment this week. I didn't want to be loving, right? But I, it's like the, the devil knows what buttons to push, doesn't he? Like, so I had to practice what I preach, and sometimes I fail, and I'm not as loving as I could be, or I'm not as holy sometimes as I could be. But there are evidences of love and holiness in the life of every believer. This is, these are things that we grow in as well. So last week we looked deep into the study of holiness. Today I just want to focus on the mark of love, all right? So love tends to be a really ambiguous term, right? Like we throw around the word love uh, for so many different things. Just this week I was thinking back to things perhaps I said that I love. Um, I said that I love my wife, which I do very much. I love my children. I, I said several times how much I love you guys, how much I love our church, um, I also said I love Chick-fil-A about three or four times this week. Come on, somebody. It's God's food. I think it's all right to love Chick-fil-A. So by all those statements, I mean different things. There's different depths and different kinds of love, right? And so we mean different things. As a matter of fact, um, Psychology Today reported that based on ancient philosophical readings that there are actually seven different types of love according to the Greeks. So I want to start here by explaining what Peter means by love. What kind of love is this that we are to have? Number one, if you go back to verse 22, you'll see that our love is to be sincere. Our love is to be sincere. It means it's to be genuine. All right? This is not a fake it till you make it kind of love. By the way, we are called to love everybody, even our enemies, but specifically here, especially, Peter is telling us to love one another. That's the type of love he's talking about right now. All right, we're to be very, very genuine. Like, you should not have to conjure up a love, you know, some feelings to love the person behind you, in front of you this morning. Like, if you're part of the body of Christ, the love of God should be in us, and we should love one another. Let me ask you this. Have you ever run into somebody out in public that you maybe knew from, a, from the past? Maybe your relationship didn't end so well, and you see them, and it's awkward, and you say, just to be polite, hey, it's good to see you. But they can see through your awkward smile and your weird body language. It's actually not good to see them at all. Listen, through the years, I've been in ministry about 20 years. Through the years, we have had some, some people, um, church folk, leave the church in not-so-nice ways, all right? I know that shouldn't happen. It doesn't happen often, thank the Lord. But we have some people that leave with issues that are unresolved, without a conversation. They leave angry for whatever reason, all right? Um, and, and what is so funny is sometimes is I'll see these people in the, uh, in the marketplace, in the supermarket or something, and guys, listen, they avoid me like the plague. 
But you know what I do? I, this is fair warning to you. If you leave in the wrong way, I will, I will stalk you. I will find your car in the supermarket. When I see your car parked there, I will go in and I will hunt you down. And I will make eye contact with you and I will hug your neck and I will say, it is so good to see you. And guess what? I'll mean it. All right? I'll be so loving, it'll make you sick, all right? So I'm just giving you fair warning. Don't leave the church in a bad way. Don't leave it all, all right? But don't leave in a bad way, especially. Our love needs to be genuine. Now today, here's what's so interesting about love. Love is equated with tolerance. So for me to be loving means that I just accept whatever you do and it's okay, right? That is not, by the way, biblical love. And can I suggest that's not even logical, it's not even logically just regular, everyday love. Because if you have a friend, per se, that, that has some issues, all right? How many have friends that have issues? How many are sitting next to them this morning? All right. <laughs> you put your hand down real quick. All right. So, so, yeah, you have a friend that has issues, and let's just say you love this friend, right? But this friend has some really destructive behavior. Don't say amen if you're sitting next to him. You would be crazy, the world would say, oh, if you're loving, listen, if you're loving, just let them be. Friend, that's hatred. If you see them ready to jump off a cliff because of your choices, well, I don't, I don't want to say anything. That's so wrong. No, love them enough. Love them enough to tell them the truth. Here's, here's the idea. In the church, loving each other does not mean that we can never have confrontation. It doesn't mean that we have to be okay with every decision every person makes. It just means that we're genuine enough, we're sincere enough that we're willing to work through our issues. And so sometimes people say to me, well, I know they're making really bad decisions, but I just don't want to hurt them. That's actually not true. The problem is you don't want to hurt you because it might cost you something. It might cost you their friendship. It might cost, cause them to be mad at you for a little while. But if you love someone, what's the Bible say? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. All right? A true friend will wound you at times. How many have a friend that's willing to, to wound them every once in a while in the love of God, right? I'm grateful for those people in my life. And so here's the balance that needs to happen. See, a lot of in the church, unfortunately, we have people who are really sincere. In other words, they're critical. They're just always on your case. The problem is they don't have the, the balance of love. On the other hand, we have people who are really loving. They're kind and happy, but they'll never tell you the truth. We need the balance of genuine, sincere love. Number two, our love for one another is to be brotherly. It's so interesting in these in this first verse, Peter uses two different Greek words here for love. The first is Philadelphia. You might know it as Philadelphia, which means what? Brotherly love. This is the kind of love that we're to have one for another. I want to take you back to the first century for just a moment to whom uh, Peter is writing. And he says uh, of these first century Christians they're experiencing, we know from previous weeks, a great persecution, and they feel like exiles. They feel like misfits. They feel alone because of their faith. And you know what Peter is doing here in these verses? He's reminding them, though life is tough, you have a new family. You have brothers and sisters all across the world that are part of this family of God, and it is such a blessing. We today, we talk about this often. We live in a very individualistic culture. That's what our Western world is, right? 
It's very individualistic. It's all about how this makes me feel. That's how we process everything. Our personal feelings often trump community, even sometimes family. So it's all about the individual. So this has kind of crept over into the church, this way of thinking. And here's what's happened. Our relationship with God or our salvation, our justification, has become extremely personal only. Now, it is personal. It's about you and God. Sure, you have a personal relationship. It's wonderfully personal, but it's beyond that. Not only do you get uh, uh, to have a relationship with God, but you know what? You and I, when we are born again, the reason that language is used, we are born into a new family. And if you have a, if, if you have a family that maybe you've had some issues growing up, it's, it's so refreshing to know that you have, man, you have a, a father in heaven who loves you. Maybe you didn't have a dad who loves you. You have a father in heaven who loves you. Maybe you didn't have brothers and sisters who you were real close to. You have the family of God, and you can experience with brothers and sisters in Christ incredible brotherly and sisterly love. So I have a, a problem today, um, if I can be real honest with you, sincere love, right? Um, Because there's something that's real popular in our Western culture today. We have people that say they love Jesus. They talk about Jesus. They they say all this stuff. But then they say, but I'm not into church. How many have ever heard somebody say that? All right? I have issue with that. The New Testament makes no room for this. You cannot love God and not be ecstatic for his people, not love his people. It just doesn't work. As a matter of fact, an interesting verse, it couldn't be clearer. In John 13, 35, Jesus said this, By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. It's not that you speak in tongues. It's not that you, uh, that, that you, uh, you know, read your Bible every day. It's not that you pray every day. It's not how much you know about God. It's not that you went to seminary. You know what it is? It's your love for one another. And I know that people have been hurt by church. Listen, you're looking at somebody who has been wounded time and time again by church folk. And you know why I've been wounded? The same reason you've been wounded. Because we're people. And we do things that are just not right sometimes. Listen, to be frank, I've hurt people sometimes. Not sometimes, not intentionally. But unintentionally, because of my flaws, I've hurt people. Have you ever hurt somebody? That just... It's devastating. I get it. Like some people have been really, really, really taken advantage of in church. But listen, you know why I'm up here preaching today? You know why I give my life to the church? It's not because I couldn't do something else. It's it's not that I'm not in it for the money, I assure you, okay? I'll tell you why. It's because I stink and love you people, all right? That's it. Like I love the church. Matter of fact, just this past week, I was hurt a little bit. You know the first thing I wanted to do? Be with you people. Talk to you people. Love on you people. It's just my natural reaction. Why? Because you're my family. And though you're not perfect and I'm not perfect and we probably at some point rubbed each other the wrong way, I love you because the love of God is in me. It's in you. His love is in you. That means we're family, friends. Right? We are family, and I celebrate it today. One of the things I love most about this church, I love our music. Don't like to preaching too much, but I love our music. That's not funny. Um, 
I, I love the community in this place. Time and time again, I hear people say, these are the friendliest, most welcoming, not superficially kind. These are genuinely kind, gracious, warm people. I hope, if you're new here, I hope you feel that today. I love that. So our love should be brotherly. Number three, it should be active. It should be active, which means this. Not only do we love by declaration, but we love by demonstration. How many wives have heard over and over, I love you from their husband, but their actions don't line up with those words. We need to not just love by declaration, but also by demonstration. The word Philadelphia, the previous word of love is in the Greek is a noun. It's something we possess as believers. It's given to us, this brotherly love. It's imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. But now the next word that Peter uses is agapeo. And it's a verb, and it, it's an act of love. And so Peter is, here's what he's doing. He's reminding them first, love is in you. Love is in you. Because you've been changed by the gospel, love is in you. And now he's saying, by the way, act loving. Act like who you are. In other words, work out what God is working in. God's working love in your heart. Work it out amongst one another. This is incredibly practical. It means we don't cut each other down. It means we lift one another up. It means we don't walk out on one another, that we, we embrace one another. We're patient. We're gracious. This is the love that we are called to. And then watch this. Peter says that Christians should love one another earnestly. Earnestly. Now, this word in the Greek, it means fervently, and it's actually an athletic term, and it means to strive with all of one's energy. Now, I want you to get this. It's an athletic term. How many at the beginning of the year said, I'm going to start working out again this year? Anybody make that? Yeah, a couple of you. When you first start to work some kind of exercise regimen, how many of you know it's painful for a couple of weeks, right? A couple years ago, I had been out of the gym for a little while, and I actually this was just last year, and I went back and I was working um, with Justin Rudolph, a trainer in, in town, great trainer, and um, I, I said, you know what, I need to be held accountable, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go and have this personal trainer. I was all excited, and I thought I've worked out before; it's not gonna be that hard. And so I, I'll never forget my first day there, like it's ingrained into my memory. Right? I was I was looking for the exit door. I thought he's trying to kill me. Like somebody is after me. They've hired him to kill me, like slowly. That's what I felt. And I was thinking, I, I remember being half, seriously through the workout, I'm thinking, I'm never coming back to this. I'm never doing it again. But because I wanted to be healthy, I went back the next day and the next day and the next day and the week after that and the week after that and the week after that. And you know what? What I hated in the beginning actually began to hurt a little less and a little less and a little less became a little less uncomfortable. By the end of it, a few months went by, and if I was to miss a day with him, I would lose it because I, I just thought, man, I don't want to miss this. I learned to love what in the beginning really hurt me, right? It became natural to me. And I just want you to know that's what Peter's getting at here. You have love in you, but as a new Christian, it might be really hard to practice that love on people who may not be perfect to you all of the time. But you have to be disciplined. You have to let the church, the elders, the, the deacons kind of be trainers alongside you to say, hey, I know this person hurt you, but love them, serve them. And we grow in this. And here's what I found in my Christian life. 
this has become easier and easier and easier. And now I love loving people. I love loving people. I love practically demonstrating that love for people in our church. And so we're to love people earnestly, actively. What then is the basis for this love? If we're to have a brotherly love that's sincere, that's active, what is the basis for this love? How in the world do we accomplish such a feat? Because the world doesn't seem too loving today, does it? It's hard to be loving. Like, if you've ever been in traffic, hard to be loving, right? How many had a moment this week? Last week, we saw that our ability to live holy lives, again, comes from the Holy Spirit, comes from the, uh, our relationship with God, comes from the gospel. It's the same with love. To love like the Bible calls us to love, don't miss this, that ability only comes because of the power of the gospel in our lives. Having your souls, verse 22, purified Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, he says. What's he talking about? The truth here is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Peter is looking back to these believers' conversion where they were obedient to the truth. They repented of their sin. They responded to Christ. This is what enabled them to love. It's their faith in the gospel. And this is reiterated in the next verses. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Why should you be loving? Because you've been born again. How can you be loving? It comes because you have been born again. That ability comes solely because of that. Peter then goes on to quote Isaiah 46 and 8. He says, all flesh is like grass. And all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the word, is the good news that was preached to you. What's Peter doing here? He's pointing out how weak human flesh is, how frail we are in contrast to the living, powerful, unchanging word of God that has granted new life to believers. So in the weakness of human flesh, you might be able to have a measure of love, but you cannot have real, biblical, agape love. See, apart from Christ, you cannot conjure up a love that expects nothing in return. You'll love others if they love you back. You cannot conjure up a love that forgives no matter what. You cannot conjure up a love that is steadfast and sacrificial. You cannot conjure up a love that stretches beyond social, watch this, political and racial boundaries. You can't do it. But watch what the gospel does to you. It changes us from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can love and expect nothing in return because that's how Christ loved me. I can love people who have hurt me because, oh, I've hurt Christ through my sin. And yet he came, and while I was yet a sinner... He died for me. I can love people steadfastly and sacrificially even when they're up and down and I'm up and down. Why? Because Christ has loved me in that capacity. I can love people that don't, uh, maybe aren't part of my social group or my uh, political understandings or, or values or even the same race or nationality as me. Why? 
Because God is no respecter of persons. Every tribe and every nation can come to him. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, which means the love that God wants us to have is a love for all peoples, not just my little tribe. Come on, somebody. This just doesn't come naturally to people. There's people who fake it. But it doesn't come naturally. It comes to people who truly understand and who have been changed by the gospel. Amen? But if you would come, let me just ask you this in closing. Has your heart been purified by receiving the gospel? Has your heart been purified by receiving the gospel? There are two religious systems in the world. There's Christianity, and though there are other, many other religions, they all have essentially the same kind of belief. Different steps, but the same kind of system. The world system, every other religion says, do this and you'll get to God. It's all on you. Act right, obey these rules, get to God. Christianity, what's it say? It says you can never be good enough to get to God. That's why he came to you. So if you believe that, and if you believe that Jesus Christ is the way to God the Father, He's the way to heaven, the way to salvation, if you really believe that you are a sinner saved by grace, you will be, you, you can't help but be a kind and warm and loving person. If you've been in church all your life, yet the gospel has not taken hold of you, which is the case, by the way, for many people. They're religious, but the gospel hasn't taken hold of them. It will show itself in two primary ways. On one hand, you may be really self-assured because you feel like you're one of the good ones, right? You're one of the good ones. The problem is this. You don't see the darkness of your own heart. You look at the addicts or you look at the alcoholic or you look at the prostitute and you're like the Pharisee and you say, oh, thank God I'm not like them, which means you fail to see that we're all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And so here's what happens. You may say, oh, I'm saved by grace, but deep down you think you're one of the good ones that don't really need that much grace. And so here's how this shows out in your life. You'll be self-righteous. You'll be smug. You'll be arrogant, extremely judgmental and critical of other people. Or on the other hand, if you don't know you're a sinner saved by grace and you're not confident in your own righteousness, here's what will happen. You will be so insecure because you're not confident in God's love for you. You'll be defensive, easily offended, withdrawn, unapproachable. Very, very defensive. In either case, you will not be warm and loving even to other Christians. You will not be kind and slow to speak. You won't bend towards forgiveness. You, you won't be relentlessly gracious. You won't be relentlessly patient. You won't be relentlessly faithful. Let me ask you, do you love other believers relentlessly? This is the acid test of our faith. If you're here today and you have not responded to the gospel, and you've been, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been down and out. And, and what I said earlier, you don't know how God could allow some of these things to happen. Can I just encourage you again? I, I don't know why the things that have happened in your life has happened, but I, I do know this. 
it doesn't it cannot possibly be that God is aloof to you that he's that he doesn't care because he was willing to get down in your mess and he's willing to walk through it with you would you turn to Jesus today if you're here and you're religious but you haven't been changed by the gospel you're depending on your own righteousness to get to heaven you can't do it Jesus said come to me you who are burdened and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Come to Him. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.